Hello everyone, this is Jaime Alejandro and I'm joined by Maddie, my wife. It's been a while, has it not? It has. It's been like a, sorry, <clears throat> my voice is <laughs> wrecked right now <clears throat> because the smoke from the western um, wildfires has been blanketing our state for the past, well, it's been the entire summer, but it's particularly bad this week. Yeah, we've been pretty busy though. It's it's kind of nice to be back podcasting, doing what we enjoy doing, and we have a couple of updates. Um, where were we? We went to Portland, Maine, not Oregon, <laughs> Portland, Maine. Um, so was for... there any, any reason in particular? <laughs> it was our 10-year wedding anniversary. Yeah, how was that for you? It was really good. It was a really fun trip. <laughs> so there's, you know, with without making it too um, sort of like, um, I don't want to say like too personal, just kind of like an overview of this stuff. It was a really, really awesome time. I'm very, very lucky that we got the opportunity to do this because like we've said in the past, we're not really vacationers. We're not like big travel people because it's not something that we normally had growing up. But this was a really, really cool experience. and. Uh, luckily we were able to get in, um, get our trip in just as the Delta variant was ramping up again. Um, so we kind of scheduled this before the variant kind of went wild. Yeah, so we it, scheduled it when things were looking up. Yeah. We things were like, were Hey, this, good. this is going to be fine. You know, just, uh, the vaccinate. vaccines were on the horizon. Yeah. And, um, it felt like this is going to be the summer where we, get it all back you know we reclaim everything yeah. and come to find out that uh things are spiraling out of control very quickly so i'm glad that we kind of had that opportunity to do it yeah i mean thankfully we we were traveling <laughs> to a part of the country where the things were actually better than where we are if you can believe that i was um, very surprised about their vaccination rate yeah the the new new england has a has a pretty high vaccination rate it's like 60 or 65 percent which is mm -hmm. pretty good Ours is like the third lowest in the country right now. So we were half of that last time I checked. Yeah. But um, I think, uh, regardless, I mean, we took precautions, we did our best, and we were out there for five days, five, six days. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just uh, really nice to venture and experience something that we had kind of idolized and romanticized for a while, but actually get to be in the middle of it. Uh, did you feel like it disappointed? No, I thought it was better even than than I anticipated. Like, I don't know, you, you kind of build, like you said, you kind of romanticize a part of the country that you've not been before. And um, I don't know, I thought it, I thought it lived up to it and beyond even. So a big thing that we wanted to talk about are the Lighthouse tours that we did. We wanted to give a shout out to Gary, <laughs> who is our tour guide in the, in the trolley tour. But of the many highlights that we had, the the last thing we did that I thought was was just breathtaking was the um, the ride, the sunset tour of the islands mm -hmm. um, overlooking Portland. Mm -hmm. And uh, we pretty much went all over the bay. We were out in the water for an hour and a half or two hours, and it was just breathtaking. We had never seen anything like it. And yeah, I'm still uh, that that was my favorite part, mm -hmm. you know, just getting to to do that with you was really really cool yeah i liked that a lot too and we ate a crap ton 
We ate so much. We ate a lot. <laughs> Jesus. Portland has like the, it's like the top five most restaurants per capita in the United States. So there's, it's so many, it's overwhelming how many restaurants. I don't yeah. think you could get to them all. In, and we didn't. I, I mean, we we had a big list, and and when we sat down that night and we started writing restaurants and places that we kind of wanted to consider, we we didn't even go to any of those mm-hmm. because we were stopping by these other cool places that we would find. Like we had a lot of pizza. Yeah, we did. <laughs> See, we had pizza like three times, mm-hmm. and and that was kind of a weird surprise to do that in Maine. But we did have lobster. We did get that out of the way, and uh, that was very much. Uh, worth every dollar i guess mm-hmm. of the 32 dollars that we had to pay for that <laughs> lobster roll uh, we yeah we we had a really good time but let's tell them about um in particular the one of the big highlights that kind of gave us a laugh when we took the tour because i thought that oh. was pretty funny um so on the trolley tour part of the trolley tour was going to the portland head lighthouse which we had actually been to a few days before, but it was kind of nice to get to go back to it with with Gary, the tour guide. Who's awesome. He had a lot of knowledge, and so we I felt like we learned more with him than we did, you know, when we went on our own. We got to the lighthouse in the trolley, and it, we had like a 30 minutes to get out and stretch our legs and walk around the lighthouse and stuff. And we came back to the trolley, and... um you know, we we were waiting to go, and these two old ladies sat in front of us, and we were like, oh, they must have been behind us before, and now they've moved up to be closer to Gary to ask him questions. Hey. Hey, stop fighting. Those um, are cats. Sorry. sorry. Um, and so we... <laughs> We drove all, you know, we finished the tour. We got all the way back to um, about a block away from where he was going to drop us off. And there was a car accident. So he said, well, I'll just let you guys out here. We're about a block away from from where I would have dropped you off. And, you know, everyone was okay with that. But the ladies in front of us, they looked at Gary and they were like, well, when do we go back to the lighthouse? (laughs) And he was like. Um, we don't go back to the lighthouse. This is the drop-off point. And they were like, what? (laughs) And it turned out they were not on the tour. They were just... Two old ladies Just hop along. What do they call them? Stowaways. Yeah, they they were like, oh, look at this nice trolley that came by. Let's just get on it. And I'm like, where were your families? Like, what what the hell were you doing? Poor Gary. He was like, ugh. Oh, oh, I'm going to have to call my company <laughs> to I thought that was that was the best. I I <laughs> he probably my had, ass off. He probably had to drive them back to the lighthouse. Yeah, and we kept joking like Gary's shaking his head cuz he's like, "Oh shit, this is coming out of my paycheck." Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I did this again. But, <laughs> again. But I'm really astounded at the the tour guide's ability to drive that darn thing. Yeah. Um. Some of those hills were pretty sl- steep, and the brakes were squealing like mad. I was more no- nervous about the narrowness. Yeah. Of those old streets. Yeah. And, and he just fucking plowed through. Yeah. Like a like a goddamn boss. Just well, he had you know he had the confidence of someone who drives a big vehicle a lot every single day. Yeah. He's like, I know this fits through here. It's fine. Yeah. So that that was pretty cool. I mean, um, to get the context of the town, the way it originated, and 
why they went with brick because the goddamn city burned down twice four times oh four times i'm sorry four times yeah and and so it was just those little details where you start getting a sense of of why it's set up the way it is and why you know things are just laid out the way they are but um i didn't realize one of the big takeaways of those tours was that i was not aware of the the significance the military significance of of that area during world war ii that really kind of surprised me but looking at it fully i mean it makes complete sense just being such a uh, a large um i guess nautical presence for our armed forces during world war ii that was like um what do you call it like a front mm-hmm. essentially and uh where the portland main house is they they had one of those areas what do they call them like the military bases yeah a fort it, yeah. there was like a fort yeah, there's there. forts all over the place yeah. on in portland like it's because it is i think gary told us that it's the closest um point in the on the united states coast to europe yeah um like in terms of miles um and so it's it's kind of a strategic yeah um like military uh, point and it was yeah i mean there was just little tidbits of information you know whether we went to uh the portland main house or if we the went portland to headlight headlight house I keep calling it the main house but you know there there was another beach where they had you know of course some other military significance and i think that there was just a lot of of great history that uh definitely worth looking into now but uh then we went north Mm-hmm. We went to Acadia National Park, mm-hmm. which, I mean, sorry, oh, Phoebe, Phoebe's her, huh? purring. <laughs> Get down. And, I mean, it, it was just completely beautiful. Let's talk about the beauty of Maine for just a moment and the, the privilege it was to go up the coast and enjoying the beaches and these little tiny towns that felt very, very familiar but yet completely dissimilar from what we know um yeah we we rented a car for the first few days and and then we uh the last day we had the car we decided we well we had planned to drive up to um bar harbor which is um a little town wow phoebes get out of here (laughs) she's um (laughs) which is a town up north and it's it's a really popular like tourist destination Mm. um because of its proximity to acadia national park um and so when we drove up up north um we decided to instead of taking the interstate we decided to take the uh the state highway the us1 um which instead obviously when you're on an an interstate it kind of goes past all these little towns and so we were able to drive through these towns instead, which was um, way more interesting, I thought, um, yeah, to, for sure. than to drive past them. Um, and yeah, I did. I did think that like rural Maine felt pretty familiar to me. And like, even though like the landscape is different, it still feels familiar. Um, just long stretches of highway where there's nothing. I mean, there's trees. It's just all trees. Yeah. And it it was kind of a strange kind of confluence of our background, kind of like where we've lived in the past. Like 
it felt very Wyoming in some respects, but it also felt like uh, Seattle, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just mainly because of the proximity to the water where you would have these these little neighborhoods and then you would turn turn a corner and then you'd see the the bay, mm-hmm. you know, or you'd see the coast. And that kind of surprise was always around the corner in uh, the Washington area where we lived. Um, but it, it did have its own vibe. Obviously, it's its own place with its own uh, culture and and really its own environment. But going up north was definitely like the more touristy part of the experience. Because I was expecting that in Portland. But when we got up to Bar Harbor and we were trying to walk around the town, I mean... It took us 45 minutes to find parking. It was it, it was busy. Mm-hmm. It was busier than And this than was any. a weekday. It wasn't yeah. even the weekend when we went. And we had planned that. We're like, oh, it's definitely going to be busier on the weekend. Mm-hmm. But when we got there on a Thursday, it was still pretty mm-hmm. crazy. But I also have to chalk that up to a lot of folks being cooped up during the last year. That You know, everybody wanted to get out mm-hmm. and really, like we were saying, just catch up on on their life mm-hmm. this year this was the summer to do it yeah and you know it's it's starting to to kind of feel like yeah this was our, our little window to take advantage of you know of everything. well and i guess i didn't i i guess i knew this intellectually but i didn't really understand the implications of it that maine is where people in new england go on vacation <laughs> right so i mean the, yeah. their license plates literally say vacation land mm. so Maine is like the place to go. Right. And you heard a lot of like you said, you told me while we were on the tour, one of the tours that you you heard somebody with like a a Baltimore accent. Baltimore accent. Mm-hmm. So you did have folks who sounded like they were from New York, like the people who were sitting next to us uh at the burger place on the Yeah, last they were day. on the tour too. Oh, were they? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I didn't recognize them, but mm-hmm. yeah, they were from New York, clearly mm-hmm. from New York and um, just oh, at the burger place. At Sorry, the, yeah. yeah, you're right. No, yeah. they were from Massachusetts. Okay, this I'm is why I sure. didn't do well in dialects. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure they were from Massachusetts, and my like, voice teacher would be very, very disappointed. There were girls, th- those two girls that were on the they were on the tour were definitely New York. Yeah, yeah. Man, I mean, that, it was there was accents from all over, but yeah, New England is is singular. I think in that there are different accents to each state. Mm. You know, like in in the West, it's like you can't really tell Colorado from Wyoming, from Montana, from Idaho. Almost interchangeable, yeah. But like you go from New York to New Jersey and you can hear the difference. Yeah. And it's the concentration of folks. I mean, you, you can't really compete with that when you're looking at such a, I mean, it, it is still a large area, but but there's bigger numbers of people clustered. and And that is what fosters that kind of like community you know that that like you don't have to go anywhere else you could essentially live your life in like this little pocket of community and Mm -hmm. that's how like these accents just kind of start developing on their own but uh it was kind of nice to see because we hadn't been out in in a long time and it was like oh you're you're getting to you remember what it's like to be around like huge numbers of people and Mm. you know it's not like we were in New York, but it was still kind of a shock to the system saying, yeah, holy shit, there's a lot of people here. It's, well, it's completely like, it's just different. You know, it's just like culturally different. You know, it's New England mm-hmm. is just like a whole different yeah. uh, ball game. Yeah. But. Um, and I do have to say that, uh, and I think that you were kind of probably leading up to this, but one of the great 
aspects of this trip or moments in this trip was when we took a, a detour. We went the long way around uh, to Bangor, Maine, and we made a pilgrimage to Stephen King's house. Mm-hmm. And t- tell me about that, because we kind of had some mixed feelings getting there. <laughs> yeah, we, so when we left um, Bar Harbor and Acadia, we just instead of taking the same way back, we went the long way. We took the interstate back home, and the interstate goes through Bangor. And so we were like, oh, let's stop and and just see Stephen King's house. And um, you can literally just Google it. You just Google <laughs> Stephen King's house thought, and it pulls it up. You thought it was going to be a wild goose chase? <laughs> I don't know. I thought you'd have to like ask somebody at a gas station or something. Yeah. Um, and so we we drove to his house and we he parked on the other side of the street and there was somebody... There were people already there taking pictures at his gate. And when we got there, it just felt increasingly intrusive and yeah. and like we shouldn't be there. And so I don't know. I I I looked at it, I admired it. As did I. I looked at his gate and the weird totem thing he had in his yard and I took a couple pictures from across the street. I didn't go up to the house to take pictures. Um, and that was it. I don't know. I, it felt like once I saw it, I was like, okay, like this was cool. I'm, I feel like I, I did yeah. it and I don't really need like great pictures of the house. It, yeah. And, and that was kind of the response too for me that I, I got this feeling like, wow, it's, it's pretty amazing. This is where. This is the center of a, of a lot, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of really beautiful things that made my life better during very difficult periods of my life. I also and, found myself, sorry, go ahead, finish. Oh, no. I, and I was just going to say that, that again, it suddenly kind of washed away and it's like, this is somebody's house. Mm-hmm. And it still feels a little bit weird. Yeah, it felt weird. <laughs> I felt like a paparazzi yeah. outside his house. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't feel great. Um, <laughs> but like driving through his neighborhood, it was a beautiful neighborhood. Um, Bangor is it's quite small. Like it's, there's not a lot to it. Mm. Uh, at least not that we saw. But um, I, I almost felt like I was driving through like streets from his books. Mm. You know, like yeah. Derry or Castle Rock or, you know, you, you just get like a feeling like, oh, like this is what he's modeling right? most of his fiction after is where he, you know, probably spent his childhood and his adult life. Like these roads and these people are who he's writing about. Yeah. And so it was it was more about the environment, just soaking mm-hmm. in the environment and realizing it's not just... The house might be the symbol, but but the deeper meaning of of what we're after is pretty much yeah. And I felt all that over the town. I felt that kind of the whole day, like driving through small town Maine, because Portland, Portland's kind of its own thing. Like it's you mm-hmm. know, I talked we we met up with and had dinner with um, my boss and her husband, and she she did say that Portland similarly to like a Seattle or a Portland, Oregon are not really representative of the state as a whole, either politically or culturally. Um, You know, it's sort of an oasis, like a liberal sort of oasis. Um, But driving through Northern, like driving North through these small towns, you get a better sense of, 
of the culture and the people. And, and I really did feel like I was like, oh, this is, these are the origins of most of his stories, you know, the ones that take place in Maine and, and the ones that don't take place in Maine, because I think, you know, Maine, like a lot of um, rural states represent a, a good majority of this country. And um, I don't know, it was cool to kind of see, yeah. to see that, you know? Yeah. And then you were reminded, I mean, you, I kind of had these moments throughout the trip where I'm like, and, and you said this to me several times and I, I kind of said it back to you at times as well, where we just looked at each other and we're like, we're across the country. Yeah. Like we're in a place that we've never been before. This is really surreal. And you add on top of that, this, this feeling of like, we're going to a place that gave us a lot of magic. You know, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was really cool. Yeah. And, and with that context, it, it was just super enjoyable and we didn't need a picture. We didn't need mm -hmm. to be like giving it a thumbs up or anything. Although it would have been good for the street cred on Twitter for me, uh, to post <laughs> a picture of myself, like riding that fence or some shit. Um, <laughs> oh, but do people do that? I don't, I don't know. know. It feels weird. But like, it does. It That's what I'm saying. It I've, feels a little I bit. I follow odd. Stephen King on Twitter and I can't, it feels weird to be like, Look where I am, like, Steven. I was at your house. It's like, ugh. It's, I don't know. He might be into that nah, shit. Like, I mean, he doesn't care, I'm sure. But, you know. It's like, I'll have my bodyguards beat you down. He's like, I only live there like three months out of the year anyway. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the funny thing. Because we talked about this too on the way there. We're like, what would we say? <laughs> what would we say to Stephen King? If like he was like, you know, getting his like latte, his spooky latte coming home. <laughs> and, and we're like, yes. We just want to party with you. I mean, it, it would, it, you know, mm -hmm. not that it was very likely, but you still kind of had that idea in, in your mm -hmm. mind. Um, overall, I mean, it, it was um, a phenomenal experience. I hope to do that again, uh, especially with you, mm. <laughs> because it, it was pretty unforgettable. And we got to stay at this really cool Airbnb that mm -hmm. was, that was, very close to the downtown area in Portland. Very beautiful. Highly recommend it uh, for anyone who's looking to go on vacation. It was very comfortable. Um, yeah. Five stars. Mm -hmm. Five stars all well, around. The couch wasn't that comfortable. The couch was not, but, you know, in their defense, they did warn us, don't sit on that couch for too long. You have the... the <laughs> go do stuff. Go do, Portland, go do other stuff. Stop sitting yeah. on the couch. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, we could go on for hours about it, but I think we've we've covered plenty. Uh, anything else you want to add? Last words? No, I mean, I think Portland. I think New England is Portland is great, but I think New England is pretty cool, and there's a lot more yeah. to it. So I think it'd be fun to go back and see other parts of it. Absolutely, keep digging and keep looking for new places to go. But uh, again, this is uh, the end of August, and August is a very very special month for for us and i love you <laughs> i love you too it's it's our anniversary month come on give us a break <laughs> um i'm very very glad that i get to have this life with you Same. not the yeah not the not cats because the they're <laughs> starting no, she's, riots she's upset so she's just gonna sit and glare at us yeah that's fine because i wouldn't let her sit on my lap so um, moving on to some current events that we kind of have to clear the air on real quick. Um, it's been a pretty tumultuous week 
in 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 terms of the uh, situation in Afghanistan. We've been trying to. I guess I haven't been looking at the news too much. It's it's a lot coming at us right now. But as of uh, Monday, yeah, yeah, as of, of this Monday, the um, the troops have pulled out of Afghanistan. Um, there are some accounts that folks are still there. Some American folks are still there. Um, allies are still there. But uh, uh, President Biden made a speech today which i did i did want to watch just to kind of see what his you know um take on it or what his you know justifications were for certain things and he he tried to make it clear that those folks who remained had an opportunity to leave but they didn't take it so um the I, americans is who he used to right right he, he spe- specifically he said, said americans. They, they said there's maybe a hundred to two hundred americans still left Right. And, and, you know, I, I can understand. I mean, some folks might want to, you know, stay for one reason or another. Maybe they have families or maybe they, you know, um, I don't know what want that, to just continue to do her, their work. Want there. to continue. Exactly. Um, but it's a very contentious issue right now, especially in the state that we live in, in Wyoming, given that one of the Marines who was, um, who, who was killed in in the last uh, attack um is from wyoming uh that that has become kind of like a hot button issue and i've tried to kind of keep an eye out on that not too much but um a lot of folks are under the impression that you know there could have been another way that this kind of of um military evacuation could have been handled a lot differently given that you know the president did have authority to delay or or you know hold off postpone whatever you want to call it um and and so i get the feeling and this is just from being in a red state right now given what just happened that politically this will not be something that will that this administration will be able to recover from. What do you think? I mean, it's. I hope it's not. It's not crass to be talking about it in these terms. But um, I guess maybe more to the point. And I'm sorry to keep rambling about this. It feels like, like I don't know. Like everything's fractured again. Like there, there's just a very hard line. The people who who were. were barely on board with biden are not completely you know done completely Mm -hmm. done um and you know um i don't know i don't know how to feel you know i don't know what the right response to this is yeah um i don't know either i mean i think we shouldn't have been there in the first place. Yeah. We shouldn't have gone in 20 years ago. So whether we left today or five years ago or five years from now, this was always going to happen. This was always going to be the outcome. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really matter because, you know, people are comparing this to Vietnam you know, to Saigon, like 
the exact same thing has happened. So we just continue to not learn our lessons when it comes to interfering in other governments. You know, and I think that it was handled poorly, the extraction, if that's what you want to call it. Uh, I don't think... Um, I don't think the Afghan people have been treated well in this scenario, especially the ones who worked for the U.S. military. And I don't think that Biden is going to be able to bounce back from this very quickly, if at all, with a lot of Republicans or Democrats. Um, I think there is a small group, maybe a very very liberal Democrats who are celebrating the end of the war. And I I think there's a good amount of people who are celebrating the fact that the war is quote unquote over. Um, But at what cost, you know, I mean, I don't think we should have been there and I don't think there was ever going to be a good time to leave. So it just doesn't feel good either way. You know, it doesn't feel good to be there and it doesn't feel good not to be there because yeah. the people of Afghanistan are now suffering more than they probably have in the last 20 years. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they essentially handed the country back over to this, you know, extreme, <coughs> this extremist militant group. And all the progress that has been made over the last 20 years will be erased. I don't really care what the Taliban is saying. What they're doing is completely going to erase everything, particularly for women. Yeah. So, I don't know, man. I don't feel good about it. It doesn't feel good. None of this feels good. Yeah. And I do do feel that, um, at least in terms of, of American casualties, um, not just physical ones, but in spirit, I, I think that anyone who served during this time who was able to come home is has been demoralized and, and broken to such a degree because of the way that this happened that I think we're going to have to contend with a lot of the, the psychological and spiritual breaking of, of so many people who served who are now asking asking the question what was this for you know people who you know who I've I've spoken with directly you know who have served who who are almost asking like like my friends the people who who I went there who were with me when we were there who are now gone what was all that for and and I think that that's just a heartbreaking thing to to try to come to terms with, and I hope that the VA is doing the right thing for them and offering support, because this is going to be a really tough time for for all those people who who served. And I mean, just just as a country, I I just think we we need to take a good look at ourselves and and just ask what the fuck were we doing there in the first place? What yeah. was the point of all this? No, yeah. and really ask ourselves if that is the trend that we're going to be continuing. Because, I'm sorry, I just don't believe in that. Well, 
I mean, while while there are companies getting rich from war, it will continue to happen. Yeah. So, you know. So so why ask the question? <laughs> like, we even have power in the scenario, and, and that could be, that's the reality of it. Yeah. You know? And, um, you know, I read an article about, um, well, a couple articles, one from the BBC about Afghanistan, of Afghani um, refugees coming to Great Britain and then coming here. And then there was that story about the, the robotics team going to Mexico. Mm-hmm. And I just, I can't even imagine what those people are going through right now. Yeah. I mean, coming from a war zone into a country they have no experience with they have no bearings they have no maybe no family (coughs) just their own you know the clothes on their backs in a lot of the case in a lot of cases um it's just it's so much just trauma there's going to be a whole generation of people yeah that you know (laughs) are really going to struggle and um not just you know, the Afghan people, but also our own people, you know, Americans. Yeah. It's, the cost is so high <laughs> for what? Yeah. For what? Whatever we did there for 20 years was erased in three weeks. Three weeks. That's all it took. Yeah. And I mean, I can't, I also can't imagine what those veterans are going through. Like, yeah just the futility of it you know right yeah i don't know i maybe you're right maybe biden won't be able to come back from this despite how they are attempting to spin it it just doesn't look good in any way it it really doesn't i mean like like we were saying this is a cumulative failure i mean yeah and you can't from i think it's i think it's completely out of hand to solely blame biden of course you can't solely blame biden he's been in office for less than a year but it's just the complete failure on the part of the u.s government Mm -hmm. you know and the last three administrations so you know because they were just hoping to pass the buck they just yeah they kicked i mean trump set a date that's about as far as that got obama did nothing yeah you know he added to the troops as far as i remember mm-hmm. you know and bush got us there in the first place yeah so so this is yeah this is our mess now we have to we have to live with it yeah and i i just i don't have a lot of faith in the way that we take care of our veterans either so i'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who don't get the help they need well it's you know Let's do what we can, but uh, yeah, keep them in our thoughts because it's uh, it's a rough time. But I do have to say, at least the Mexican government did something right. <laughs> it did, and they it was surprising. They had that picture of the the robotics team, and and those girls had their passports the moment they landed. The Mexican passports. They, had they Mexican handed passports them Mexican passports the moment they landed, and I said, "Holy shit, that's incredible! That's amazing!" Yeah, like. I don't understand. I don't even, I don't think the, like the Afghani 
um, people who worked for the U.S. military, I don't ever think they were promised citizenship. Maybe a visa. No, I love the way you phrased it. You said it was a um, a pathway to citizenship. Yeah, that's what they're always promised. Right, a pathway right. so to citizenship. Yeah. Whatever. whatever. What the fuck? I just, it's funny that like Mexico, which, you know, I think as Americans, we kind of look down on the Mexican government. Like they don't know what they're doing. Mexican you know? government like, is fucked up right now. I mean, but, you know, yeah, yeah go, they go have ahead. their problems. They yeah. have a lot of problems. And I think as Americans, we do look down on them as like an inferior government. And then, and we then, look down on everyone's government. I know, I know, but <laughs> particularly Mexico because they're our neighbors. But like, they go and do something like that, and it's like, was it that hard? They just fucking printed passports and handed them to them and go. said, "There you go, welcome. You're good to go. You don't have to go back there now." How yeah, hard so is that? It, this is a, a very somber note, but we felt it had to be addressed in some way, or we had to at least kind of voice some thoughts on it but um yeah there's there's just a fucking shower of shit this whole week yeah it's that's not, what it it's, feels like it's not good so do you want to go from one shower of shit to another <laughs> i Let's, forgot what the third thing was you're gonna talk about the third thing we're gonna talk about is one of your favorite documentaries in recent memory oh god the woodstock 99 <laughs> documentary now playing on hbo <laughs> oh yeah holy shit speaking of shit showers let's Ew. get on with it <laughs> literal literal shit showers so um for those of you who are not aware woodstock 99 is the fairly unsuccessful revival of the woodstock 69 glorious concert event three-day event of of flower power and uh uh, also some horrible things that happened now memorialized in in the uh what do you call it like the the magnificent history of rock and roll i mean it's one of those revered events and i thought that this documentary did a very good job of capturing the disillusionment the supreme disillusionment of of the generation previous to ours or maybe it was our generation is that like Gen Xers, essentially, who, yeah, who are part of Woodstock '99. Yeah, I would say Gen Xers. Okay, so the, either geriatric millennials or ger okay Gen X. You need to stop. <laughs> you need to stop right now. So, yeah, the the documentary was uh, a very in depth experience. It was it was about a two hour show, and they walked us through the process of like bringing this behemoth of a three day experience to life and sort of like the seeds that were already planted before the event even began that led to this becoming this just complete shit show um l let me have you take it away with some of your thoughts on this um i think the the one of the things that i couldn't understand was the scale of it because music festivals are not like a new thing and a lot of them are done well you know coachella was established like the year after woodstock 99 and there were other music festivals that went on before that you know they mentioned one from like in germany 
that was really well um well planned um but this was so woefully mishandled and mismanaged that it was it, it was baffling to me because um i don't even know where to start i mean they had so they 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 held woodstock 99 on a um an abandoned or retired military, uh, military base. base and and that seems like a good idea because it's it's already got like this infrastructure you know it has fencing it has um you know barriers and um buildings and stuff and so that's at the beginning it seems like a good idea and then you start to realize um the the issues with things like the heat you know it was so hot and um it was all asphalt yeah, so the so heat the was heat just was constantly. Just, yeah, and so there were like yeah. people dropping like flies from heat exhaustion and heat stroke. And, and just yeah, just a bit of context on the attendance too. So the oh my god, Phoebe, you just can't stop making noise. So the initial attendance for the Coachella Festival of like 2001 or 2000 so like that first one was about 50,000 people. Okay. It topped out at 50,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um Woodstock 99 is suspected to have had around 220,000 people. Mm. Well, that was an issue too, is that people were just like sneaking they in. They didn't give a fuck. Yeah. They just kept going in. And then the they had that bit about the security guards who just they wanted to even, get the they, they wanted to get sec- the shirts and the swag so that they can go and party too. Yeah. So um And I think the most interesting there was a lot of interesting parts. I mean there I mean you could you could talk for days about just the breakdown of infrastructure in terms of like um you know, like the porta potty situation. Tell us about the porta potty situation real quick. This is very important to <laughs> well, me. Well, I mean, there's you know two hundred thousand people and not enough toilets, and so very quickly the toilets backed up, and they had like those septic trucks coming out to like pump the shit out of the porta potties, and it just wasn't happening. <laughs> and you know, <coughs> they got tipped over, and they were just like overflowing onto the onto the ground. And this is like the first day too. Like this is <laughs> yeah, like day one. Even the beginning. This is like Friday afternoon or Friday evening, and like there was literal. You know those pictures that you see from Woodstock where everyone's covered in mud and having a grand old time. That wasn't mud. <laughs> that was literal feces from the porta potties. From the porta potties mixing with that the mud. Exploded. That was all. The mud was probably also created by just piss like everything was just soaked in urine so it so there's that and um and so so the infrastructure breaks down pretty quickly with that many people and that little management um so let let's talk about sort of where the ideological thing started to come in where you have the idyllic concert promoters and the main creator of Woodstock who who has a very like throwbacky kind of idea of what Woodstock is supposed to be and 
there's this really interesting thing that I hadn't noticed about this festival was that yes, we had an idea of it, but it was so romanticized that we didn't get the reality of it, even in the documentary of Woodstock 69. Mm -hmm. And now that they were trying to sell this idea of, of free love of, of a more laid back kind of chill festival experience, they come to find on the day of the festival, it seems that those values don't align with the generation that they were selling it to. So you I, have like, I think that's giving them too much credit, to be honest. I don't think they ever got that. I don't think they ever realized that. Yeah. That, well, at least, you know, to, to save face, they wouldn't accept that openly, right. but I think they knew in their heart of hearts is like, what the fuck? You know, it's like this product doesn't work anymore. You pause it. Okay. Where was I? The shit. Okay. So I was <laughs> no, talking wait, about the no, shit. No, we were talking about the... But I was talking about this this clash of ideology where you have this this idyllic free love stuff happening and the product doesn't align with the buyer anymore. And so I think the biggest culprit of this like this issue was the programming. Like can you tell me like the bands that were there? Let's just run through some of them real quick because it just <laughs> well, I was that's what I was going to ask is do you think that was the do you I mean yeah, I guess the, the bands will draw who they're going to draw. I mean the the headliner was Limp Bizkit. Yeah, I mean they they were high energy new metal bands yeah. that had no business being associated with this kind of free love kind of ideal. And and that was the problem is like you you have the kind of demographic that listened to that music at the time. And it was, I mean, to, to be fair, there was a, a variety of different artists, but they brought in different crowds, but it, it was almost like there was just a constant, like, boiler, what, what do you call it? Like, um, it, was, it was just an, an eruption waiting to happen because all the ingredients were in place. You had, like, the, the people who went to watch the Backstreet Boys, the people who, who went to, to watch Jewel. Jewel was part of the headline, Alanis Morissette. And then you had like Limp Biscuit, Metallica, Rage Against the Machine. ICP. ICP just kind of inter interspersed. I mean, that's a very different. The top selling artists of the time, but at the same time, it was just like just different factions. And that just, I think that was the, the part of it is like the programming just brought in a whole bunch of different types of people. Yeah, I mean, they they say that, like, the majority of the people who were there were were white, male, 20-somethings with backwards baseball caps. Like, <laughs> you know, pretty much picture, like, the, like uh, the Fred, Fred Durst lookalikes. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's who was there. And, but, but I have to say, I mean, in my day, I listened to Limp Biscuit because I was in middle school, and, they, I mean, it was unavoidable. Like, yeah. if you were around at that time, you listened to Limp Bizkit, Metallica, Rage Against the Machine, maybe a little bit of Jewel. I listened to Jewel too and Alanis Morissette. So I, that, that's my jam, you know, like that's, had I been just a little bit older, I would have wanted to go there. That was like a mecca of, of stuff. But I think that there was a group of unhinged, crazy white kids who just went to town. And I would also argue that the, 
like you said, the Woodstock of 69 was romanticized. Yeah. Because people fucking died at the 69 Woodstock, just like they did at the 99 Woodstock. So maybe there is a flaw in the system and it might be the organizers. Yeah. So, you know, that, that, that famous documentary about Woodstock 69, they mention it a couple of times and they were like, it wasn't like that. Yeah. You know, maybe for some people it was, but not for everybody. Yeah. And the unifying factor is, is I guess two factors that, that come to mind right away. You have, really poor structure which you mentioned already that's the that was a structure yeah that yeah. that was a commonality between what happened in 69 and what happened in 99 they're just having that many people is bound to cause trouble mm-hmm. right and secondly you have the these people charging four dollars for water mm. in like just hoarding the resources and charging out the ass for the stuff excuse me i'm gonna sneeze bless you it's phoebe (laughs) that yeah i mean that that was bound to happen by the end of the third day people are getting pissed they don't have enough water they've been sleeping in shit for two and a half days they're getting sexually assaulted women are getting sexually assaulted i mean people have died yeah that guy lost his friend yeah in the mosh pit yep because they didn't have the right first aid kits and the right like uh uh medical personnel to diagnose him with heat exhaustion or heat stroke or whatever no, no hyperthermia. hyperthermia that's what he had that's what it was. his his temperature was too high and they thought he OD'd and he wasn't even on drugs and he died yeah and it's it's really well crafted in in the way they they give us a lot of this information and um yeah i mean you get a sense of the real repercussions to this stuff it's not like oh you know kids went and had a good time they broke shit and every everybody went home happy i mean there were real consequences to the failings of the organizers to to do the right thing and i mean yes you know the this person died but i think there was this like huge issue with with rampant sexual abuse where you know, they were saying victims as young as like 14 were getting, you know, um, Molested, sexually assaulted. Raped. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's pretty fucked up. I mean, I mean, now people are still feeling the, um, the aftermath of this kind of event. Well, and I thought that it was interesting. There's so many things that sort of, um, coalesced to create this disaster. <laughs> and one of the things that I think contributed to it was this was the very beginnings of the internet age mm-hmm. and porn being so accessible. You know, did they, they, did they talk they, about that. They like- reference Girls Gone Wild and like the, the very, um, uh, the increasing accessibility to pornography. And the aggressive um, sexual nature of media and just things were changing yeah. in, in what uh, young people were consuming. And, right. and I think, you know, did that, com- you know, does that completely contribute to what happened? No, it's not the only factor. But I do think that it has a hand in it. Yeah, and and like I said, I mean, it's one of the many 
ingredients in the recipe of the disaster. And like, yes, you had, um, and, and we talked about this too, like there were, there were a lot of women who were going there and they were like, okay, they've never experienced something like this. We're going to go and have a good time. So there was not like this feeling like, oh, I'm going to go there and I'm going to be sexually assaulted. Like it, because that, that's typically not the vibe that they were expecting. And so, um, a lot of people were caught off guard by, by that, you know, that horrible situation. And I don't know, man, it's just like, it's messed up, you know, like to have almost a quarter of a million people in, in that close proximity and expect that to not end with calamity and destruction. And to have no, there was no crowd control. (laughs) There's no No management, no police even. There was no law enforcement. There was until the very end. Yeah. When they called in the fucking National Guard. Um, but, but I did think it was kind of funny that the guy, one of the guys who was part of like that riot on the last day, he was like, if that had been a hip hop festival, people would have died. Yeah. People would have been shot yeah. by the I was, I was just like, going to say that. It's like, can you imagine yeah. a brown or black person like... <laughs> Yeah. A mob of brown or black people. No, uh, they no. wouldn't make it out alive. <laughs> no, you know the yeah. fact that they just broke it up and told everyone like, right. to go home. Like, get out of here, yeah, hooligans. Yeah, you knuckleheads. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, just a bunch of hoodlums. I don't know. I felt like I was watching the fire festival documentary again, but it was worse. Yeah, like way yeah. worse. But I, it, it is interesting. Like you were saying, I mean, shortly thereafter, I think certain concert promoters looked at that as a, as an example. And they said, there's a better way to do it. And that's when we started to get Coachella and a lot of these other big festivals that, that kind of paved the way into this new way of, of doing shows. But again, there is another leap taking place now where it's so commercialized that there is a degree of exclusivity to a lot of these festivals and it's just a different vibe. Yeah. I mean, Coachella is not affordable anymore. Yeah. You know, when we were dreaming of going in college, I mean, even then it was kind of out of reach unless you had money, but it's now like $400. Yeah. For a general pass. That's not right. even a special pass. And they don't even like play the bands that we like anymore. <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> so it's, yeah, right. It's like, different. It's not even worth going anymore. And now we're romanticizing the original Coachella years, which had that sick early 2000s batch of Yeah, of but I think they also talked about how Coachella kind of started the way Woodstock had intended to start, which is for the people, by the people, yeah. for the music, you know, and, and, and of course, nothing is sacred, and it just it just balloons to a point where it's not about that anymore. Yeah, you know, it's, and it's, not it's like there's no the there's no way I don't think in our society these days to prevent that from happening. I just don't think it's <laughs> yeah. possible, you know. And yeah. and and between social media and and just the level of consumerism in our culture, it's just not possible. For that to be what it used to be. So any any kind of earnest endeavor of goodwill and community will eventually become hijacked by yeah by the capitalist urge yeah yeah by the corporate fat cats 
That's right. And then, and then you know, you have all these other smaller festivals popping up, you know, Bonnaroo or, or any of the other ones that are a little smaller mm-hmm. um, in the recent, I don't know, maybe last 15 years that have kind of tried to supplant Coachella as the real music festival that mm. really cares about the music, you know, and... So you have more options now than you did, <laughs> you know, if you actually want to go to a music festival where music is the the point. Right. Um, and not just seeing fucking Kim Kardashian, you know, like it's, <laughs> I don't know, it's it's kind of depressing, but. Yeah. I mean, we To this day, I've only gone to one music festival and it was Oyster Ridge. And, and that's the best fucking and festival it's awesome, in the you know, but history it, it's of the world. Such, it's such a small scale. And I think eventually, I don't know, maybe we're too old for this shit, but. You know, if we went to Bonnaroo, I think I'd be miserable, but... I think so, too. We'd probably be in and out. It's like, oh, Foo Fighters are playing? Let's go in there. Royal Blood yeah, is playing? Right. Let's, let's I mean, check it out. I mean, but that's the cool thing then about... let's go get some steak. Yeah. You know, or whatever I they have over there. I think it's the cool thing about festivals is you can really hit a lot of bands, but um, I don't want to fucking sleep in a tent <laughs> for three days. Yeah. You know, no, like, I don't, I don't want to do that. My back just can't do they have glamping options or hotels nearby no. coachella definitely doesn't because it's in the middle of fucking nowhere but. yeah yeah at least you're not sleeping in pizza boxes like that poor dude that they <laughs> interviewed <laughs> he said, yeah yes. i just slept in the pizza boxes it was the only place that wasn't soaked in urine <laughs> I'm like, Jesus. But you guys got to check it out it really is a, an awesome documentary we had a really good time we we were we watched it in two parts, and we couldn't wait to get back to it because we we got about an hour in, and then we had to go to bed because we're old and we have work and stuff. Second night, we're like, "All right, let's finish this off. Let's see what happened." Very much worth your time. Go check I, it out. I kind of couldn't believe that I didn't know more about it because I was, I don't know, I was like ten. Yeah, we missed it. I mean, it, it was 12. just like you said, Gen X. Yeah. The Gen X folks had that one. So I think we should tink to that because <laughs> let's let's tink to a good documentary about shit shows. And Maine. And Maine. We're not going to tink about the other thing because it's pretty heartbreaking. But um, yeah, I think that's about all we had this week. Uh, we're probably going to do another episode next week because we got some catching up to do. And uh, we're going to try to get in front of the mic a lot more in the coming months so um anything you want to add about where they can find us what um, to do you can find us um you can email us at our kids asleep at gmail.com we gotta you check can that email subscribe i have you can subscribe rate and review the podcast on any podcast platform well apple maybe That's i guess right. is the one Check out all the stuff that we have on our website, cruisefolio.com. There's a whole bunch of cool shit on there now. I've worked really hard on that website. I hope that you check it out. We also have merch. Yeah, we got merch, like a bunch of sellouts. Check the description in the podcast episode. Link in the bio. Link in the bio. Or whatever. Yeah. We hope to talk to you soon. Let us know your grievances. And uh, yeah, we love you. Hope you're well. Good night.